We hear in the Gospel of Luke, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Come join us today on The Way with DJ. Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to the podcast for this episode today. The episode today is going to begin a series of um, episodes on what are, I'd like to label as sacramental misconceptions. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through at least the sacraments of initiation, uh, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist, and talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions that we might have as far as a everyday lay Catholic and what they might think about what those sacraments are and some of the things maybe that they've heard from some of their friends or maybe read somewhere in the media. And to kind of, at the same time, talk about those misconceptions, but then also maybe correct some of those misconceptions. So you really fully understand what the whole idea of the sacrament is about. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to begin with the sacrament of baptism. Now, many misconceptions about the sacraments in the Catholic Church have developed over the years, and understanding the theology behind the sacrament is important to really kind of dispel some of those misconceptions. So let's begin then today with baptism. So the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to do it in kind of a question and answer type of format. So I'm going to ask a question that is kind of a common question that people might have about the sacrament, and then I'm going to go ahead and give the answer or the explanation. So first question um, that somebody might ask is that they are becoming Catholic. So they are coming into the Catholic Church but they were baptized in another Christian denomination. So do they need to get re-baptized? Well, baptism is one of those sacraments that we, what we call in the church as having what is called an indelible mark. In other words, when you are baptized validly, and that's important because we'll talk about that in a minute, but um, if you're baptized validly, there is no need to be rebaptized um, because baptism, being baptized validly, puts that indelible mark on your soul. It puts that mark on you. Um, and so there are a number of other sacraments that are like that as well. Confirmation is one of them. Holy Orders is definitely one of them as well. So it is that indelible mark that is imprinted on you when you receive that sacrament. So there is really no need to repeat it. Now, the question was, I was baptized in another Christian denomination, so do I need to get rebaptized? Well, it will depend on what denomination that is. So in order for a sacrament to be valid, the baptism itself should have been performed with clean water using the Trinitarian formula. In other words, using the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those words had to be said as well as pouring water over the person's head three times when that is happen happening or even immersing the person in water three times. 
So if those two things happened, those exact words were used, the sacrament is valid. Now, some Christian denominations, and this kind of goes, I think, to the, where the question is, use those words so the baptism is valid. In some Christian denominations, they do not use those words. So, for example, they might baptize someone in the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier, and they might actually use those words. Now, we all kind of know that the word Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier refer to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that baptism would not be valid because those particular words were not used, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it kind of goes to the idea of the, the, what baptism is and what any sacrament is, is that the sacrament has what is called a matter and form. The matter in the sacrament of baptism is water. That's what we use. The form is, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, if those words were not used, then the sacrament would not be valid in the eyes of the Catholic Church, and so you would have to be then re-baptized. So, usually, um, by checking with one of your priests or deacons at your parish, they can find out whether or not the church would recognize the baptism from another Protestant denomination, because they know how they baptize in that particular denomination. So, next question has to do with godparents. So, a lot of the questions that we get when um, pe people come to us and want to have their children, or anybody really, baptized, is they ask if both of the godparents have to be Catholic. So, the minimum requirement for baptism is that every person needs at least one sponsor. So. That could be a baby that is just born. That can be someone who is coming into the church through an RCIA process and so on. So typically we refer to a sponsor nowadays as a godparent. The person that is the sponsor, that is, is fulfilling the role of the sponsor, needs to be at least 16 years of age. They need to be fully initiated themselves, which means that they needed to have received the sacrament of baptism, confirmation, and first Eucharist. They cannot be the parents of the person being baptized. And the reason for that is because the parents, when they make a promise, especially with children, they are making a separate promise than the godparent would make. So they're within the rite, within the rite of baptism, there are questions that the parents are asked but then there are also questions that the godparents are asked. So you cannot fulfill both roles. So that is why um, the person needing to be baptized needs to be not be the parent of those of that child, including those acting in the role of the parent. So such as a step parent. So for example, if you have someone coming into the church that is the stepfather or stepmother of the child that person also would not be eligible to be that person's sponsor. Ideally, in, um, you know, in the practical pastoral sense, um, this is some kind of sometimes um, not fulfilled, but ideally the person that is serving as the godparent or serving as the sponsor needs to be a practicing Catholic, means, meaning that they attend Mass every week 
and that they are in good standing with the church, especially when it comes to issues of marriage. So, for example, if you have someone who is civilly married, who is a Catholic, they are not in good standing with the church, so they really should not be the sponsor of someone until their marriage is taken care of. For example, if a person is remarried without receiving an annulment, wouldn't it be another example? They would not be in good standing. So that would be, again, another example of someone who should not serve as a godparent. Now, does that really happen? Um, yes, it does. Um, so there are times that, you know, that parishes will not pursue the whole idea of the sponsors being in good standing. Um, but we hope and we pray, and it is certainly a pastoral opportunity for the priest or the deacon that is doing the baptism, that performing the baptism in the name of the church, to talk to that person and, and try to get everything in order. Also, one of the godparents needs to fit those requirements, so only one. So, yes, we, we traditionally have chosen two people, a male and a female, to be the godparents of a child, but only one of those godparents would be needed to be fulfilled in that, in that capacity. Um, the other godparent who is not Catholic, maybe, or who is not in good standing with the church could be listed as a Christian witness. Now, obviously, the, the term Christian witness means that person um, needs to be Christian. So they need to be um, either Catholic or they need to be part of one of the other Protestant denominations. So a person who is not a Christian cannot be a godparent. So you would not be able to have a Jewish person be the, the godparent or a Muslim or someone who is not practicing. The next question, again, having to do with godparents, because there are some cultures that have multiple godparents. So the question would be, my culture speaks about having multiple godparents. So can I have more than two? Well, traditionally, the church allows for two. At least one needs to be practicing. Um, but they are included in parts of the rite and are listed on the baptismal certificate. So that does not mean, however, that a child or a person being baptized cannot have more than two godparents. You know, that, that those two godparents, the people that are serving as godparents, you know, if there are five or six or seven of them, you know, is bringing that person up in the eyes, in the eyes of the church and in the eyes of their faith and sharing their own faith experiences with them. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, I always talk about in my homilies at baptisms about how it kind of takes a village to raise a, fam uh, a child in the, in the ways of the faith. And so the more people that that person has influencing their faith life, the better it would be. So yes, you can have multiple godparents, but only two are listed on the certificate. One of the questions that always arises about um, baptism is the whole idea of original sin and also then, by extension of that, what limbo is. So it's important when we talk about sin to make the distinction between original sin and actual sin. So it's, it's impossible for an infant to commit actual sin. But original sin 
is a sin that is passed from generation to generation. It comes from our first parents, from the sin of Adam and Eve. And the sin of Adam and Eve was that they were in the garden and um, they were in paradise and God told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve was tempted by the serpent to do so and she did. And she gave the apple um, or the fruit to Adam and Adam ate it. So at that moment, that was the first sin. Now, was the sin um, of Eve giving the apple to Adam and Adam eating it? No, it really had nothing to do with the apple. It had all had to do with the idea that God told them that they were not to eat of that tree. So being tempted by the serpent and then falling into that temptation, the original sin is the sin of pride. It's the sin of Adam and Eve thinking that they are God and that they know more than God or are equals with God. And so that is the original sin. But through the sacrament of baptism, there is part of the rite that is called the anointing with the oil of catechumen. And the oil of catechumen is what is anointed, the person is anointed with that oil on their breastbone. And during that time, original sin is wiped away. It is a form of exorcism. Um, so we are exercising that original sin from the person being baptized. Baptism washes away that potential for sin. So it gives the infant, ideally, a clean slate and it arms their soul with the spiritual tools that are necessary to fight against committing actual sin. Now, we go through life and we commit sin. That's, that's all that happens to us. We all go, all go through life and we are sinners. That is a fact. So there does come a time when we actually commit an actual sin. And that is, again, goes to what we can do as Catholics to receive the sacrament of reconciliation to be forgiven for that sin. Now, let's go to limbo. So the whole idea of limbo was an hypothesis that stated that an infant who died without baptism was assigned to the limbo of the infants. So because we are born with this original sin, there was an idea in the early church where people used to think that if a baby was if a baby died before they were able to be baptized that they would go to limbo now i want to be very clear that the church never taught this this was something that came up with the idea of how do we explain what happens to infants who were not baptized but have original sin on their souls so they weren't able to enjoy the fullness of heaven. These babies were not able to enjoy the fullness of heaven and therefore had to be in the com company with God because they had not been baptized. So this was the whole idea of limbo. They did not have to endure hell because of their innocence. A baby is certainly innocent. But the whole idea was that we didn't know where they went. So they didn't go directly to heaven because they weren't baptized. They didn't go to hell, but they were in limbo. And they would be in limbo until the second coming when they would then be assumed into heaven. Now, the hypothesis itself 
has been proven wrong because theologians have concluded that God desires all of his creation to be with him in heaven. And so an innocent infant is certainly numbered among those souls. So officially, limbo, like I said, was never a teaching of the church, but over the course of many years, it was perceived as such. So you might get questions about limbo, about whether or not limbo actually exists. And the church, again, did not and never did teach about it. So the next question then kind of goes to um, the suitability of the parents. So the question that came up was, what if my wife and I are not validly married in the church? Can our child still be baptized? So the question here is not really about the validity of the marriage or that the church is penalizing the infant because of the decision of the parents. But with the baptism of infants, it is really the duty of the priest or the deacon that is performing the baptism to ascertain whether or not that person, that child, is going to be brought up in the Catholic faith. Now, if there's a situation where the parents are not validly married, it becomes a question of whether or not the parents really do intend to follow the teachings of the church and who are, are they going to follow the teachings of the church and bring that child up in the faith in the correct way. Now, if the parents intend for their child to be raised in the faith, then there's no reason not to baptize the child. I mean, the child should be baptized. The child should be brought into the faith. But it's also important at this time for the, the parents to explore and maybe discuss the reasons why their marriage is not valid and with the priest or the deacon and then in a pastoral way to try to correct that situation. So in many situations, it, you know, it's a question of simply um, you know, convalidating the marriage because they were married outside of the church or there might be some situations where a declaration of nullity might be needed. And so they need to be understand that they are accepting all parts of the faith, including the church's teaching on the sacraments and marriage. So being Catholic and speaking for the infant at a baptism is, you know, who is becoming Catholic at that point means that we accept the faith and the teaching as a whole. So we don't have a right to pick or choose what teachings we're going to do, what teachings we're going to accept, and so on. So um, the final question that we'll talk about as far as misconceptions today is the whole idea of um, grandparents. So the question came in that, you know, there is a new grandmother and they know the grandmother sees that their daughter, her daughter and her husband don't go to church. They don't practice their faith. And so she does everything she can to ask that their granddaughter, her new granddaughter be baptized into the faith. But they absolutely refuse. So the parents absolutely refuse to take the child to church. They have kind of determined that they're going to let that child decide, you know, for themselves when they get older, what religion, if, if any religion at all, that they will practice and so on. So the grandmother gets this idea that, you know, this is kind of a quote unquote emergency situation. And so she's going to go ahead and baptize that child. She's going to baptize them baptize the child in the kitchen sink, so to speak. So is this right? 
So, and I, and I, believe it or not, I get this question all the time. And especially as, you know, we see more and more um, parents of children that are not practicing today, um, you know, and also, you know, it, it kind of goes to the whole idea too, of a lot of times we might see parents that will bring their child to be baptized, but they really have no intention of practicing the faith. They're just doing it to either appease grandma or just do the, doing it as a favor for her. So while it's admirable that the person wants to have their granddaughter baptized into the faith and brought up into the faith, and while baptism is really actually important for the salvation of her soul, it really would be illicit for a person to baptize her baptize the child unless it was an emergency situation. And the emergency situation really means that, you know, the, the baby is born and there's danger of death um, right away. Um, and so the child does need to be baptized right away. And that's really the only time um, where there could be an emergency situation. So the whole idea is that we believe that parents are the primary educators of their children in matters of the faith. And if they choose not to educate their child in the matters of the faith, it really is not up to us to kind of decide, okay, we're going to take this upon ourselves and baptize the child. And it, it means, too, that, you know, once that child is baptized, that it's not the end. I mean, what we that child needs to be brought up in the faith. So that child would need to go to Catholic school or religious education or something like that. Um, so I always advise grandparents at this point to ju just gently ask the parents over time to kind of reconsider, you know. Um, and there might come a time, you know, that God might provide where, um, you know, there might be a situation where the where the situation might change and it might, you know, they might begin to think about, you know, well, I really need to bring my child up in into a faith and why not bring them up into the faith that my child, that my family is part of, my, my mom or my dad or so on. So you really need to, as a grandparent, you really need to have an ear of understanding and a real realization that when you do these things and we kind of gently, you know, talk to them over time that you are planting a seed. Now, in addition, if we believe that God is all merciful and all knowing and he knows this situation and you know, if, God forbid, the granddaughter should die before baptism, you know, we trust that God is merciful and God is, is forgiving and God knows the truth, God knows the situation, and of course that that child would, you know, be, would go to heaven even if um, they weren't baptized. So, it, yes, it is admirable, you know, grandparents want to take care of those things, especially parents, grandparents that have practiced their faith the entire life. Um, but it is, you know, kind of a, a, a difficult situation. And so the parents really are the primary educators and they are speaking, as I mentioned before, for their child during the rite. So those are, are some of the questions having to do with baptism. I encourage, you know, you to email me, um, at deaconjaji.com, at deaconjaji at email, at gmail.com. Sorry about that. So it's deaconjaji at gmail.com. If you have any other misconceptions that you might have heard of 
when it comes to this sacrament of baptism or any of the sacraments, any of the other sacraments as I go into um, the other six sacraments during the coming week, in coming weeks, I should say. So um, again, I'd like to thank you for listening today to this little bit longer podcast, but I did want to make sure that I covered all of those misconceptions about the sacrament of baptism. And um, one of the things that I kind of like to end with is that, you know, we always celebrate our birthdays. Birthdays are important in our culture. But how many of us really celebrate our birthday into the church, which is the day of our baptism? How many of us actually even know what our baptismal date is? Uh, Mine is December 8th, so I was able to find that out um, later in life when I was already an adult. So um, it's important, I think, that we really kind of celebrate our baptism day as well as celebrating our birthday, obviously. So um, maybe that's something as families that we can all kind of adopt and kind of take care of at this point. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to me today. And I look forward to speaking with you about the misconceptions on some of the other sacraments. And so again, I always ask that God continue to hold you in the palm of his hand and he bless you and your families as we go through this this, um, mission of the church as we are all baptized into this mission when we receive the sacrament of baptism and that we are going to um, going to really promote the kingdom and promote the message of Christ to everyone. Thanks again.